Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. When it comes to marketing qualified leads and your experience as a SaaS marketer, which marketing efforts drive the most leads? So I think if you look at and, you know, people poo poo the funnel all they want, but but you still need kind of a construct to look at what's happening with demand. All of those can generate sort top line sources, but then you look at the ability to kind of qualify those contacts through your funnel. And so I'll say we're a HubSpot shop for the marketing automation piece and we're a Salesforce shop on the sales side. And um, when I look at the different tactics that we use, a lot, I can generate a lot of demand at the top, but then as those move, I would say, when you look at in-person events, that's gonna get me the most sales qualified leads because someone's talking to that person. We've had tremendous success with paid social in that I've got a lot of people interested in my offer, but then I've got to move them down because I'm very much about a quality play, not a quantity play. So when I send a lead to my seller, I want to know that that person knows who Mobile Wallet is and understands what we do. And getting a phone call or an email from someone at Mobile Wallet is not going to seem weird. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Marketing Tales show. My name is Chris Raposa, and today I have the honor to present you Lori Hood. She is the CMO of Mobile Walla. Hi, Lori. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure and my honor. So um, I did a little bit of research on you. Let's jump right into the episode. Um, and I saw that you studied economics at Clemson University. And from what I can tell by looking at your LinkedIn profile, you almost immediately went into marketing right out of college. Um, what made you want to get into marketing? So it was a little more of a circuitous path than that. First of all, go Tigers to any Clemson fans out there. Um, so I majored in economics, but I actually minored in computer science in college. And um that led me to a computer science related internship between my junior and senior year um, where I met some folks who had worked at Accenture. And I mean, this was in the way back. So it was still Arthur Anderson. And through that was introduced to their consulting practice. And so right out of school, I spent five years working for Accenture um, in a much more technical role. I did some programming but I also spent a year working in their software group. So that's what really introduced me to sort of this possibility of working at a technology company and no need to get into specific dates or anything like that, but it was a very long time ago. And so from there, I jumped into, I'd say more working at tech companies, um, done some product management, done product marketing, 
And then that was really the trajectory that took me into my current role. So that combination of this deeper technology background with other skills that I had picked up along the way. Okay. Yeah. It's very impressive. I saw your, like the way you grew in your career. It's it's like something I have uh, high hopes for as well, but we'll see where it takes me. Yeah, they are. So you've worked, like you said, you worked at some great companies and I, I also saw you worked at some really well-known companies throughout your career. And you currently the CMO at Mobile Walla. Um, for the people that don't know what Mobile Walla is, can you briefly explain what Mobile Walla stands for and what solution it offers and who its customers are? Sure. So for most of the world, um, Mobile Walla is a data and artificial intelligence company. So we've got a, a large repository of consumer data globally. We've got a bunch of data science smarties. And we're using machine learning techniques to get insights from that data. So what we do at the end of the day is we help companies better understand their cons just consumers as well as their customers so that they can predict what kind of behavior they're going to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important to know. We probably, we lean more to selling towards data scientists. That's kind of our safe space. Um, and we focus on two industry areas, telecommunications. We work with a lot of telcos globally on things like understanding propensity to churn, um, competitive, what's their competitive and market position. And then we also have a business with emerging market financial and financial technology companies. So Southeast Asia, where there's an India, where there's a big focus on credit inclusion, our data can help determine credit worthiness and whether to extend. Usually there's small dollar amount loans that would be in like a mobile wallet on your phone. Mm -hmm. So long mm -hmm. answer, but we are, and we're a small, I mean, we're a small startup um, headquartered in Atlanta with offices in India and Singapore. As a B2B SaaS marketer, how do you determine what channels to use to get the message out about your product to your potential customers and which channels do you use? So I think one of the biggest challenge for marketers is new channels keep coming in and old channels don't die. So there, there's no swap. Mm. You've, you've kind of got to do everything. And I think there are probably like, especially when you look at social, I mean, we do a tiny bit on Facebook. We, we don't do anything on Instagram or TikTok. Those just aren't appropriate for our business. But when you look at kind of the mainstream social channels like LinkedIn, it, we do a little bit on Twitter. Mm. Mm hmm then when you think of the sort of the classic channels, you know, events, webinars, um, mail, your website, you know, we're, we're doing things across all of those channels. Um, and I think different channels are a fit based on what your goals are for those channels. So a lot of times someone will say, you know, we should be doing more on LinkedIn and more social posts and stuff. And, and that's great. But those build awareness. They don't necessarily convert into demand. So you really kind of want to understand 
how that channel ultimately impacts your business. And some of it's also a cost benefit. I mean, social, social's really inexpensive. Like you can pump stuff out all the time and it's fun and it gives you exposure versus the investment you're going to make in an event. But what, you know, where do you have, where do you get the most bang for your buck? Yes. Yes. And you, you touched on that. And I was, it goes right into my next question when it comes to, um, you know, leads, uh, when it comes to marketing qualified leads and your experience as a SaaS marketer, which marketing efforts drive the most leads? Is it networking events, industry conferences, paid ads, content marketing webinars? So I think if you look at and, you know, people poo poo the funnel all they want, but but you still need kind of a construct to look at what's happening with demand. All of those can generate sort top line sources, but then you look at the ability to kind of qualify those contacts through your funnel. And so I'll say we're a HubSpot shop for the marketing automation piece and we're a Salesforce shop on the sales side. And um, when I look at the different tactics that we use, a lot, I can generate a lot of demand at the top, but then as those move, I would say when you look at in-person events, that's going to get me the most sales qualified leads because someone's talking to that person. We've had tremendous success with paid social in that I've got a lot of people interested in my offer, but then I've got to move them down because I'm very much about a quality play, not a quantity play. So when I send a lead to my seller, I want to know that that person knows who Mobile Wallet is and understands what we do. And getting a phone call or an email from someone at Mobile Wallet is not going to seem weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But, but to go back to your first question, what we've done is I'm trying to take a more data-driven approach. So if I look at my data the leads that come in that convert to opportunities and we win those opportunities typically come from, from two sources. And one of them is our website. People are either coming in purposefully saying, I've heard of Mobile Walla. I think they do what I need. I want them to contact me. Oftentimes people will come in through search and do the same thing. Oh, I searched for this. You came up you look like you do what I need, contact me, or we have an offer of sample data. So you can look at Mobile Wallet sample data. If you're going to get a file of our data, I mean, you're pretty interested if you want to look at that thousand row Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> so we automatically convert anyone who requested data sample to an SQL and that's my next highest rate of conversion. So I can, I'm using that data and going deep from both Salesforce into HubSpot to understand what that play is. Data's a little skewed though, because I started there at the beginning of 2019. We really started marketing mid 2019. And then we had a global pandemic in 2020 where I had many plans for fabulous campaigns. So we just did an event 
last towards the end of last year back to in-person. So it will be interesting to see how that demand plays out as it moves through the funnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm actually heading down to Orlando next week for a for an in-person event. It's a higher ed conference. And yeah, I like to make the connections with the people. Now, let's say I made a connection with somebody and I get a business card. They're interested. Do I, when I follow up, am I the one who follows up with them or should the salespersons follow up with them? So some of it depends on the type of event. The one that we just did was a big event. We had a booth and we had lead, lead collection technology. But again, I'll reiterate, I'm about a quality approach, not a quantity approach. So what my team on the ground did was any if they scanned a badge, we um, categorized them as hot, warm, or cold. In that little collection device. So this way, the leads that were categorized as hot, because what I didn't want was a thousand leads and 950 of them just wanted our giveaway. Yes. So I, again, wanted quality. The hot leads, we moved directly into Salesforce, assigned them to our seller, and they became SQLs. The yes. warm and cold were in a separate list where we did a nurture campaign where the first two emails were kind of event specific, you know, great seeing you at Singapore FinTech Festival. And then we just dropped them into our standard FinTech nurture. And then as they converted through the nurture, they went into Salesforce. So we sort of viewed them as two different things. When we got business cards, I wanna capture all of the demand. So some of that was manually entered. Mm -hmm. And the expectation was, again, if it's hot, sellers going after them immediately. If it's warm or cold, we're going to nurture them through marketing. Very, very good approach for sure. I'm going to take that into consideration. I'm going to share that with my sales team that's going to be on the ground with me next week. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, you said something about the website earlier, um, people finding you by, through search or directly going to your website. Um, what are your thoughts on weekly blogging um, and um, content creation for SaaS marketing? So a big fan of content creation. And a lot of what we do is a very content centric strategy, either through our own campaigns or using third party you know, media partners to promote our content. So I, I do think content is great. Mm -hmm. Weekly is a nice thought but a velocity that's very hard to maintain. So I'm trying to get a blog post out there, you know, maybe a couple times a month. We're small company, small team. So I think you've got to understand what your capacity is to execute on this. But I do think, and again, some of this will depend on your business. In our business, it's important to th show thought leadership, that we're smart, that we get it. So a lot of that is through publishing content. I like to try to think of having like a couple core content pieces as we go into the year that sort of show our point of view like to have a corresponding presentation that I can pitch for webinars and events that go with that. And then you can kind of dissect that in a bunch of different ways. Can that core content then be used as blog posts, that sort of thing. So I'm trying to create one piece and then spin it different ways. 
Yeah, I'm all about repurposing um, yes. my my content. Uh, just did that. We had our user conference uh, last month, and I wrote up a lot of our content because of the presentations. Uh, just use them on our blog, use them on our social. Um, so yeah, very, very smart. Yeah, uh, you've got it. You've got it. I mean, you've you've really got to look at anything you have and see how you can stretch the life of it. Hundred uh, percent. You you touched on thought leadership just a moment ago, um, and I know that you often speak and um, and uh, as a panelist on marketing related topics and best practices. Um, as a marketing leader, why do you think it's important for you and others in your organization to present at industry events? You know, I think it's as much a part of demand generation and awareness as anything else is. Um, I do because I think it's fun. And usually, you know, I meet other marketers. It's a great way to network. But I do think it helps get your brand out there. Key things, though, are it can't be a sales pitch. Mm -hmm. And depending on the situation, um, quality of speaker, you know, not, not everybody's good. Not everybody likes it. I, um, we partner in Atlanta with this great group, Data Science Connect to get to data scientists. And I have put a lot of more, my CEO loves to speak. He'd speak on something every day of the week, but I've gone deeper into the organization because this is a group that really appeals to kind of the hands-on data scientist. And so I'm pulling people from my data science team. And I even had, they do a K through 12 conference that targets young people. And I had our um, intern who had just graduated from high school, but was pursuing a degree in, in data science on a panel. And one of our guys who's a couple years out of college, because I was like, you can bring this perspective that you know, a younger person is is going to really appreciate. So I'm not sure they all appreciated it, but I was like, you're doing this and you're going to have fun and you're going to be awesome. But I think it's just, it's just, again, it's important to get the brand out and to build awareness. That's it. That is awesome. Yeah. That, that was my next question beside yourself and the C-level and the VPs. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask if you would encourage anyone else in your organization to be part of that, but you, you said that would be a good idea. Yes. And everybody has, everybody has something to contribute. I mean, you just need to get them on the right, on the right topic with the right group. Yes. I also think it's important from a, an, your, your individual professional development and networking to get out there, to meet other people. You never know where it's going to land. Um, you'll meet resources that you might say, you mentioned this on this panel and I'm really interested in it. You know, could we do a quick call or grab some coffee? So I just, I think it's important from a career standpoint as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, recently in November, when I was just in my role for three months, there were, there were roundtable discussions at, at an industry conference. And one of them was on, adult learners. So the room was full of VPs of marketing, CMOs at higher ed, and me, um, who just started. But the reason why I went in there is because I was an adult learner and I just graduated from college a year ago. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I had that input yeah. of what people look for. And if they're trying to target adult learners and non-traditional students, this is how they should go about it. And that's what people look for. So I could bring that perspective. 
That's um, awesome. And I did, I was able to network, right? So if I saw them on the floor or at breakfast, I was able to go to them and say, hi, I saw you in this um, <clears throat> roundtable discussion meeting. Uh, my name is such and such, and this is what I do. Um, so yeah, it's an icebreaker, really, if you're in there with them as well. Um, but yeah, let's go back to industry conferences. Um, and just selfishly, because I'm going next week, uh, what should a field marketing team expectation be during a, during during an event? Is it to set demos right there, or collect a ton of business cards, or simply network and build trust and yeah. connection? I think it. You know, it, some of it depends on your product. Mm -hmm. You know, in our case, it was engage and qualify. For, for subsequent follow-up and screen out. Again, screen out the noise. And, um, you know, if we're going to do an event, we're also going to try to get every opportunity available. So we did a press release. Our CEO spoke on this new product thing. So I'm trying to also expand what we can do the other key thing is how much work can you do kind of pre-work yes. so you know who's coming, try to reach out. A lot of conferences have, you know, some sort of um, system that you can use to um, track who the attendees are and can can you reach out beforehand, pre-schedule meetings, things like that. That makes sense. That's a good point. Usually I get the list of attendees after the fact, um, but I can reach out to to that uh, organizer and ask if I can just have a list of uh, current attendees that are going to be there next week. Um, I always like to do a social push before we go to events. So I have our sales team and myself, we record a quick intro and I put it on LinkedIn. I do the hashtag, whatever the conference is, just so people that are going there that are following that page know who we are. So this is always like a little video that we do about a minute of everybody. So like, Hey, I'm Chris. I'm going to be at the, I'm so excited to be at the conference. Stop at our booth. We have some great giveaways. Looking forward to meeting you. It's, um, that's awesome that I may steal. I may be stealing that idea. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So we've been doing that for a couple of, a uh, couple of events and it's, it's just fun to get everybody engaged, you know? Um, people yeah. like social content with people about people is what really does well. Another white paper, this and that, nobody cares about. But your friends are like, oh, look how fun. Chris is in this video. I'm going to share it. And it's a cool idea. It is. It is a cool idea. And the one we're going to next week is particularly for community colleges. And I did my first two years at a community college, right? And I, I credit my success to their efforts. So I made sure I put that in a video as well when I did the intro. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Billy, that connection. Um, let's say, hypothetically speaking, let's say there's a solo marketer out there listening to this show um, who's running the marketing department at their own company, but they're getting a little bit overwhelmed. Let's be honest, you know, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, what is one responsibility you would outsource uh, and what agency would you bring in to help that marketer? Would it be content strategy, content production, you know, writing blog posts? What would it be? So I'm not that far off of a single marketing practitioner. I have a small team. I have a marketer, marketing director in Singapore who helps run our operation there. And I have a product marketer. So I am in that situation. We work with, I think it depends. It's, some of it depends on what your needs are and what your skills are. So we work with 
a broad-based agency that helps us with some of the key things, filling in skills gaps like SEO experience, kind of web, like core building the site, optimizing the site. They help us with content, especially from a graphics and a visual side. I mean, I can write a lot of the content, but I can't make it look pretty. Um, nurture campaigns, email, social, a lot of that stuff. They don't do PR for us, but they really act as an extension of our team in a very broad-based way. Um, I think some of it depends on your business and your skills and the kind of help that you need, which is what you go after. But I would say if you're a small team, I'd go single partner agency because you don't have time to manage a bunch of agency relationships. Mm -hmm. I think you need to be really clear with them on how you need them to help and very forthcoming on what, what are your company goals and, and how do you see them augmenting the existing, the experience you have in-house? But I definitely, you can't do it all by yourself. So <laughs> I would definitely look at augmentation that way. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, and I really appreciate it. Um, so what's one important lesson you've learned over the course of your marketing, marketing career that you would be able to share? So many lessons, so little time. Um, I think as a marketer, especially in a marketer in a large organization where you've got a lot of peer marketers, it's very easy to kind of just get in your world. But when you look outside of that, you realize most likely your leadership doesn't really understand marketing. And, you know, it's the classic I read this article or I saw this, why aren't we doing it? You get that from your sales team. You know, you've got to step out of your role and walk in their shoes and understand how to explain what you're doing from their perspective and also back up what you're doing with data. It's easy for it's easy for me to say when my sellers go, we're not posting enough on social. I can say, you know, social posts aren't really paying off for us. This is like a feel good thing, but we're more focused here because this is where the demand that converts to deals comes from. So back it up with data, but you've got to be empathetic and, and walk that mile in their shoes. There And there is no magic. Like, we'll do something that's successful. And then, you know, my CEO is like, well, why don't we just do that every day? Well, it doesn't really work that way. So. Yeah, it can't always go viral. I try to be patient. Yes. Um, yeah, it puts me, uh, it reminds me of something when I first started the company. I made this um, commitment to posting on social for 90 days straight every day. And after like, I had great reach, great engagement the first month, but then it just dipped. And I thought I stuck to the 90 days, but then afterwards I just pivoted because it didn't, the, it didn't, you know, it wasn't worth the effort. So that's one thing in marketing. You just got to look at the data. If it doesn't work, just pivot um, yes. by something and, else. And a lot of these things take, you know, it's easy to think, oh, two social posts a week. That can't be that hard. And But then when you're trying to do it, Yes. Take way more time than you think they will. 
Especially the creatives, I noticed. They, yes. I was like, I'll just throw something together. <laughs> I can't just throw throw a creative together. Yes. It doesn't work. Yes. And um, like we're doing, we've had a, a lot of success with some um, paid social, but my agency is like monitoring that every day. We're making tweaks. We're A-B testing. I mean, that's a decent, A, it's, it's understanding that no one on our team brings. So they're bringing this expertise, but it's also just the time and the thought behind it, that, that it just, I know marketers, we make it all look easy and everybody thinks it takes five minutes, but, but there's really a lot of, um, there's a lot of thinking and a lot of planning and a lot of work that goes into making these things successful. hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Um, I've recently had someone on my show and she says about marketing, one of her um, advice was that we to always be learning. Um, and you're a great leader, great marketing leader. And Harry S. Truman once famously said, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Uh, what is one book that you've recently read about personal development that you could recommend? So, well, full disclosure for our listeners, Chris had asked me to recommend two business books. And I was like, if we're being honest, I don't really read a lot of business books, but I did make a personal goal for myself for this year to read more. And I'm five books in already, pat myself on the back. Um, but I wanted to share, um, it was a book I had read over the summer and it was actually a book that was recommended that my son read. He was starting his freshman year in college in the fall. Not sure if he read it, but as I've read most of his summer reading for the prior 12 years, I thought I'd go ahead and read it. And it's a book called The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink. And um, long story short, they did this massive, massive survey to all kinds of people about regret and things they regretted. And simplistically, things tend to fall into two categories. One is things I did that I regret, which I, I think we can all kind of relate to. And they talked about sort of strategies, you know, really to forgive yourself, because that tends to be the challenge there. But a big part of the book that really resonated with me were things I didn't do. And, you know, it would be a story of, you know, I was so close with this person in college and then we lost touch and I thought about calling them, but then I felt kind of weird or kind of stupid. And, you know, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? And they did talk about how regret, and I think it's interesting, you talk about being a, a late in life learner they grouped regrets into kind of some key areas. And one of them was very specific to education. And I wished I'd finished school. I wished I had done better in school or took it more seriously. And it, it was genius. And again, not really sure my son read it or not, but it was a genius way for, he gets to George Washington University in DC, for them to kind of, say to these kids in a soft way, hey, a huge regret to people is not finishing their education, not taking it more seriously, not doing better in school. You know, you might want to think about that. But I just felt on so many levels, it um, 
it just was really a very thoughtful approach. And a former colleague of mine recently read it and has posted a bunch about it on Facebook and how it had impacted him. And I was like, oh my gosh, I read it over the summer. It was great. I feel the same way. So just, it's an, e it's an easy read and I, I would highly recommend it, but just very much, you know, that time where those times where you think, I should go up and say hi to that person, or I should introduce myself to that person. You know, really, what's the worst that could happen? That is so true. Yeah, when I went back to when I went to college at the age of twenty nine, it was before I had kids. But then, you know, I did it part time because I worked, and then I had two kids in the process. And so, while I was feeling sorry for myself, um, I thought, man, why didn't I go to school earlier? And then I felt. Then I wanted to quit because it was so much. And then I thought, oh my gosh, in 10 years, you are going to regret this if you stop. Yep. So push through it. And I am so glad I, I went with it. I just kept persevering, you know. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's a it's a good book and it just it really reshaped things. And you know, I think it's kind of weird because I don't know that anybody would say that who knows me would say I was introverted, but I think a lot of this was just, you got to get outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of times we don't do things because it makes us uncomfortable, but really what's the worst thing that could happen? So I've tried yes. to do that more. That is a great, great, great advice. Great book. I'm going to check it out. Um, as we close the episode, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about you or Mobile Walla? Absolutely. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm super easy to find. And um, Lori at Mobile Walla. If mobilewalla.com, check it out. If you want to learn more, just fill out or contact us form or just reach out to me, Lori at mobilewalla. And then personal email is Lori at hoodmail, H-O-O-D-M-A-I-L. Happy to talk marketing, grab a cup of coffee, network. Just, you know, I feel like we're so fortunate in Atlanta. We have a tremendous marketing community. Everybody is so supportive everybody's willing to help and make connections and share ideas and be a sounding board and brainstorm. So it's, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to participate in something like that. Yes. I've noticed that the marketing community is amazing in Atlanta for sure. Um, all right, Laurie, I really appreciate you being on, um, sharing your advice. And, uh, personally, I, I learned a lot from you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And and I have enjoyed meeting you and hearing your story as well. As well. Okay. Take care now. Thank Bye. You.